The Ruth Frost Parker Center for Abundant Aging presents The Art of Aging, information and tips on how to experience life more abundantly as we age. Our hosts are John King and Reverend Beth Long Higgins, Executive Director of the Ruth Frost Parker Center in Marion, Ohio, an initiative of the United Church Homes. What would you estimate is the percentage of people over 65 who live in nursing homes? Maybe 25%? 35%. Maybe 10%? I'm going to say 40%. 25%? I'd probably guess around 30 to 40%. Hi, Beth. You know, it sounds like many of us might see nursing home care in our futures. Listening to those interviews of the people on the street, John, it's really interesting. It's a good thing to consider that we might need nursing care at some point in our lives, and it's really important for us to plan ahead. You know, John, I work for United Church Homes, and for over a century, we've been providing care for older adults. And the type of nursing care that's provided today has changed significantly, just as nursing care has changed within the larger context. Eric interviewed Dr. Robert Applebaum of the Scripps Gerontology Center at Miami University. Let's hear what Dr. Applebaum has to say about how things have changed. Now, my understanding is a very small percentage of people actually end up in nursing homes. Is that correct? It is the case that on any given day, if you take a snapshot of the over 65 population, fewer than 5% are living in a nursing home. If we look at everybody in Ohio who is disabled, who is over age 65, the vast majority of those people are getting that help not in a nursing home setting. Less than a quarter of disabled older Ohioans live in a nursing home. Most of those people live in their own homes. Uh, some of them now live in what we call assisted living and then the remainder lived in nursing homes. So I think there was an assumption way back when that if you had a severe disability, you would live in a nursing home. And that certainly was truer 25 years ago than it is today. But it was never exactly the case. There's always been a lot of care being provided by family and friends at home. But the fact is that it's really not about setting, it's about the kind of help that you need. So essentially, people who need long-term services are people that no longer can do the things that we do every day that we never think a thing about. So you get up in the morning and you take a shower and get dressed and eat breakfast. And for most of us, that's just life. But when you have a chronic disability that limits your ability to do that, those are the folks that need long-term care. And that's when your life changes. Was there some reason the number of people in nursing homes dropped so dramatically? When Medicaid was passed in 1965, it essentially provided funding for care in a nursing home, but it did not provide funding for care in the community. And immediately people started to complain about that. And so in 1981, Congress passed something called the Medicaid waiver, and it provided an opportunity for Medicaid to be used for non-nursing home long-term services. It took a while for the system to change. As an example, in 1992, 
if you looked at everybody who was over the age of 60 who was getting long-term care provided by Medicaid in Ohio, more than nine out of 10 of those folks were getting that care in a nursing home. Today, the ratio is about 55-45 home care versus nursing home care. So we're serving fewer people today in nursing homes than we did 20 years ago. And the thing that's startling about that is that in that same time period, we increased the number of people over the age of 85 by more than 100,000. So if you would have said to me, we're going to have 100,000 more people over age 85, but the occupancy rates in nursing homes is going to go down, I wouldn't have believed it. But that's exactly what happened. I imagine that was a cost saver as well. It certainly allows the state to serve more people for essentially the same or less money. But we're spending more money because we have so many more older people with disability. But the fact is we're able to serve them more efficiently. And so certainly nursing home care costs more than home care, but it's more important that we're trying to essentially redistribute how we spend the money because we're serving more and more people every year. The demographics of our aging state are really unprecedented. So, you know, we've always had old people, but for the first time we have an aging state and an aging nation. And so, you know, if you think about in, you know, in 1900, 3% of the population was older. And today in Ohio, it's 16%. And by the time all the baby boomers reach full maturity, we're talking about a quarter of the state will be age 60 and older. You know, one of our fastest growing age groups is 80 plus. And those are the folks that are most likely to need long-term services. So many people get care in their own homes or they live with family members. There are other residential types of options. One is uh, assisted living. Uh, in Ohio, there's actually no legal definition of assisted living. They're licensed as what we call residential care facilities. Uh, but most of the growth has been in assisted living and the growth has been phenomenal. Uh, we also have skilled nursing facilities, but even nursing homes have changed dramatically because nursing homes are now serving a lot of people for what we call short-term care. You know, when I was in graduate school, one of the first books I ever read was called Last Home for the Aged. And there was an assumption that you went to a nursing home and that's where you live the rest of your life. Today, that's not true. Most of the people that go into a nursing home don't stay more than a month or two and very few of them say more than three months. So for most people, nursing home care has become short-term care as they rehab post-hospital. After about 100 days, if you're still in a nursing home, you're probably gonna be there for the remainder of your life. And many of those people now have uh, some kind of Alzheimer's dementia of some type. It used to be that uh, Nursing homes served a lot of people with physical disabilities in addition to cognitive impairments. Many of the people with physical disabilities are now living either in assisted living or they're, living, or they're getting care at home with home care. So it's really nursing homes are becoming more and more concentrated on people with dementia who really need that 24-hour care that they just can't always manage at home. Let's look at it from the perspective of family members. They may have come to the point where they need to move their relative. 
what are the funding options and what are the factors they need to look at? Well, that's really a good question because one of the problems that we face in the United States is that most of us are not prepared for long-term care. Most of us recognize that probably someday we're going to die. We, we get that. And so, you know, once we start having kids, we buy life insurance and we recognize that someday we're going to die. But interestingly, when I talk with people about imagining that someday you could be severely disabled, most people just cannot go there. So if you look at private long-term care insurance, about 4% of Ohioans over 40 have long-term care insurance. So most of us are not insured privately. The average cost of a nursing home private pay in Ohio now is approaching $10,000 a month. So you do the math on your bank account and figure out how long your assets will last before you run out of money. And today, about two-thirds of those long-stay residents are supported by Medicaid. Medicaid is the welfare program. It requires you to have less than $1,500 in assets, so you basically have to be impoverished. And once you're impoverished, Medicaid basically takes your pension, whatever monthly income you have after you've spent all your assets, they will give you a personal allowance of $40 a month, and then everything else goes to Medicaid. So you live your final years basically as a ward of the state on welfare. I don't think most people plan for that, but nursing home care is so expensive, and because we don't have an adequate system for preparing for that, and people don't prepare for it, that's what happens. So we're woefully underprepared as individuals, and this means that we end up in a very difficult situation. And I think it's very hard for people to imagine that they could someday be disabled. What about the option of long-term care insurance? Yeah, so there are many factors that go into the equation for deciding how to do this. But I would step back and say what you're really trying to do is to think about how do you plan for disability? And you could do that in many ways. You could do that by modifying your home so that you have more opportunity to stay in that home. You could do that by having an agreement with your children or friends or loved ones. For many men, they do that, uh, if you will, by having spouses that are younger. Unfortunately, particularly in the case of women, long-term services is very much a women's issue because women have longer life expectancy. And in the sort of traditional heterosexual uh, households, women are marrying older men and they provide their long-term services and then the men die and the women are left with figuring out their own long-term services. So if you look at the long stayers in nursing homes, it's more likely to be women. That's true in home care. Uh, so this is very much an issue that impacts women much more than men. Certainly long-term care insurance is one option. Uh, the challenge is, of course, it's not cheap, and you have to be in the right income strata to be able to make that work. And if you're really rich, you probably don't need long-term care insurance. And if you're really poor, you don't need long-term care insurance because Medicaid will kick in quickly. So there's really a sweet spot on the insurance 
insurance side of it to even figure this out. I think there are some countries like Germany and Japan and South Korea that have developed public systems similar to the way we fund Medicare. Obviously, in the U.S., we can't even figure out health care, so our ability to figure out long-term care, we're not even close to that. But I think it's, it's a real challenge. And the problem is there's tremendous inequity because there are an army of attorneys and financial planners which will help you figure out how not to have your resources go to Medicaid. And so, and I understand at the individual level, but what that means is you have two people with exactly the same financial circumstances, and one will have their money go to pay for their nursing home care, and the other will figure out how to not have their money go to nursing home care. There are a number of things you can do. Medicaid does what they call a five-year look back, which means that they'll look at your finances for the last five years. And so if last year you sold your $200,000 house to your son for 10 bucks, that's a Medicaid no-no. That's, you can't do that. And Medicaid would say, we're not going to make you eligible because you just essentially undervalued your house. However, if you did that seven years ago, Medicaid will never know. So you have people who shift assets in anticipation of this possibly happening, and they had the assets, but they've shifted them or they'll set up various trusts or other kinds of things. And there's an, arm, you know, there's an army of people who do this. And I understand why people would do this, but it also means it's very inequitable because you have people with exactly the same circumstances who are treated very differently by the system. And that's unfair. And that's a problem with the current system. Is there anything on the horizon that might make this situation more equitable? We are seeing in the recent uh, stimulus package, there is some money for an expansion of home and community-based services. And in the infrastructure bill that just came out, there's some monies for a big expansion of home and community-based services. So I think there are things like that that are on the horizon but I don't see that there's much going on to address this problem. And it is both an individual problem and a collective problem. Because we as individuals have to take some responsibility for thinking about our future. But as a society, as a state and a federal government, we have to decide what role we would play as well. And honestly, neither group is doing that. Now, you mentioned earlier about assisted care growing a great deal and serving different kinds of needs. Are there other steps between home-assisted care and long-term care? Yes. There, Ohio also has something called adult care homes. They haven't been as widely developed in Ohio, but, for example, the state of Oregon uses a lot of what they call adult foster care. Those are homes of uh, that might take in three or four older people, uh, somewhat similarly to foster care for children. So these are people who can't make it anymore on their own. They don't want to live in an institutional setting, but they can move in with a family. And uh, that has worked very well in Oregon. Uh, we do have adult care homes in Ohio that are licensed by the state that take folks in. Uh, so we're beginning to see those kinds of things. We're also beginning to see... As I said, the assisted living industry has expanded dramatically, and we're also seeing 
other kinds of alternatives, even from the nursing home perspective. One of the options that's been growing in popularity is something called the greenhouse or the small house. So these are nursing homes of essentially 10 people that they typically group them. So there'll be 10, 10 people living in, in, in a house with their own rooms, and they might group five houses together in a cul-de-sac, and that really becomes a 50-bed nursing home. But each individual person is living in a 10-person household. Uh, but that, that's sort of an option. And I think we're beginning to see different kinds of alternatives. Obviously, we have a long way to go on trying to figure out how to provide high-quality long-term services in this country, but, but we've made some strides. What impact has the pandemic had on nursing homes? The pandemic has had a monumental impact on the long-term care industry in general in, in several ways. Uh, number one, of course, we've heard about the tremendous impact that COVID has had on both nursing homes and assisted living. And, you know, it makes sense. These are folks that were the most vulnerable from COVID-19. They are living in group quarters, and we know anybody living in group quarters in this very contagious uh, virus has is, is, is got issues. And when you're susceptible to um, really being dying from that, it's, it's, it's worse. Also, if you think about for people that need these long-term services, their care is hands-on. And that means these direct care workers are very high touch. And if you think about these workers, they don't have the luxury of social distancing the way many of us did. They're riding mass transit to work. They're living in crowded households because they're not paid very well often. And those are the folks that primarily brought COVID into the facility. And, and once it goes into the facility, you've got big trouble. If you had to make one wish for the near future, what would it be? Well, I, I think my wish my, would be that we would have a discussion, a policy discussion in this country about who's, res who's responsible if somebody has chronic disability that requires long-term services. Because right now we're saying... First and foremost, it's the individual and the family. That's who's providing the lion's share of the care. And then if the wheels really fall off, we will use Medicaid as a safety net. Well, that whole system is backwards. 90% of older people aren't on Medicaid. The only time they end up on Medicaid is when everything falls apart. We really need to provide better supports for individuals, for families, uh, we need to do much better in preventative care. Our older population is not healthy. We have high rates of obesity, high rates of diabetes, high rates of heart disease, and that translates out into high rates of disability. And if we can affect and lower the rates of disability, then downstream, will have a phenomenal impact on how much money we spend on long-term services. And if we can spend, if we can serve fewer people, 
then the people that actually we do have to serve, we can do a better job in. But that's a really different model, and we're not there yet. As a state, as a nation, we're going to double the size of the population that's going to need long-term services between now and 2040. And if we don't figure out a better way to do this, we've got financial and quality and service challenges that we can't even dream of. So it's now time to figure out how to do this better. Are there some potential solutions we haven't talked about? There's areas that are coming along that may help us do that, including technology. Uh, You know, the Japanese are the oldest country in the world, very low fertility rate and very high longevity. So, you know, when we're going to have, you know, sort of 22% of our population over age 65, they're looking at 35%. So both Honda and Toyota are investing millions and millions of dollars in things like robotics. And while it sounds a little Orwellian to talk about, you know, your, your robot assistant, like a lot of us grew up watching the Jetsons and we saw Rosie the Robot, well, those robotics already exist. They're very expensive. Even something like the self-driving car. If you would have talked about that 10 years ago, people would have thought you're nuts. But the fact is that we know when older people can't drive anymore, they're stuck at home. Well, if you can have a safe self-driving car that will help you do what you need to do, that's going to be a game changer. And it's going to happen. And the same way as if you have a robot who can help you do those tasks of daily living, that's going to be a game changer. And, you know, some people think, well, I don't know if I want a robot. Like, I can say for myself, would I rather have a robot help me or one of my kids? It's, to me, it's a no-brainer. I'd much rather have a robot. You know, that way I can be independent and I, don't, I can have the relationship I have with my kids that's not based on dependency. It's based on our relationship. So I think technology could play an important role going down the road. We have a long way to go before we have Rosie, but there's a lot of money being invested in that, and I think it will happen. I mean, if you think about how technology has changed in general over the last 20 years, it's been almost unimaginable. What your cell phone does today compared to what the computer of yesteryear did, it's it, there's just no comparison. So what could happen on the technological front could be a place that will save us, or it could be a way to take care of people in a very bad way. So time will tell. In our next episode, we'll meet Dr. Stacy Levine of the University of Chicago Medical Center, who will talk about the scope and practice of palliative care. This podcast was funded in part by the Dayton Foundation, Del Mar Encore Fellows Initiative, and the Ruth Frost Parker Center for Abundant Aging, a program of United Church Homes. Audio production and interviews were conducted by Del Mar Fellow Eric Johnson.